Hello and welcome to Jack Myers Ministries and Life Family Church Podcast. Be blessed by this week's message. I'm going to talk to you about the office of a pastor. This is a message that a pastor uh, probably does not usually bring to his congregation, so therefore that means it's my job. Um, <laughs> because uh, it's important. And so I, I've heard Dr. Jack mention several times, throw it out there, you know, we, have, we live in a generation, even, it's not an age thing, even in my age, people that were not brought up in church. So they don't actually know the job of a pastor, who he is and what his role is in his life. And there's a lot of misconception about that. And so what I've done tonight is the Holy Ghost asked me to do it. And he didn't ask me, he didn't even know I was going to do this. So I just told him. Uh, that, uh, well, he's like, what are you going to preach? And I said, I'm just going to talk about you. I'll let you know. You can get the CD when you get home. This is something you need to get the CD because uh, moms and dads, you need to teach this to your kids and, and grandparents, you need to teach this to your grandparents. And the one reason that Faith Academy is in here tonight, they're often in here because they need to know their pastor. And so children that grow up just in children's ministry are never in services with their pastor. They generally leave the church at 18 and they never come in to the sanctuary because they're disconnected. From, from their pastor. They don't know the flow of the Heavenly Father, and they don't, they're not connected to their church body. They're just segregated. So um, this is something that if we teach them at a young age, it, it'll help us all. So I want to talk to you about what's the office of a pastor? What does it encompass? What does it not encompass? And what is the supply to your life through a pastor, and how do you receive that supply? You know, we have a lot of different kinds of supplies in life, and, and all the supply that we need is available to us according to the word, yes? yes. Be just because it's available, have you noticed that you're not automatically receiving it? Yes. Okay, so there, there's, it's available to you, but you have to know how to get that supply. So if we need money, money we know is supplied to us through the hands of men not on trees in our backyard, right? So there's a method, there's a pipeline for everything that we need. And so there's, we need to know what the supply is, but we have to know how to access it. If we need wisdom, wisdom is going to come through the mouth of a, a man. It's either spoken or it's written on a page. And we know the source of that would be the word of God, the source of truth or wisdom. And then, but if you want to go to the library and have wisdom or knowledge on a subject, that still came through the mouth of a man where there was an instructor speaking to you. So there, in other words, the source for knowledge and wisdom is not the same as money, right? Okay. So, so different uh, things have different pipelines. If we walk into our home and we need some electricity, we know the source is to flip the switch. But if we need water, do we go over and flip the electrical switch? Now, there's a different supply for water than there is for electricity, and the source is different. And it, this electricity could be available, and we could come in the room, and we may not know where the switch is located. If anybody ever tried to turn the lights on the sanctuary for the first time, they realized the switches aren't in the room. So you needed to know that they were in the sound booth. And so you knew, I know there's a supply. I know it's available to me, and I can act, but I don't know how to access it because you didn't know where it was. You didn't know how to access it. How many times do we run up against that in the spirit by not recognizing the source? Yes, we're authorized to tap the supply, but God left it up to you to read the word to find out how you were going to tap that supply, and that was your job. So um, there's a supply that comes from a true pastor. So a pastor is, is not as much a person as we're well, going to call it an office because that's what Jesus called it. It's one of the five-fold ministry offices. So I like to make it simple like this. Is, um, is a soldier a person? Yes, a soldier is a person. But a general is an office, yes? Okay, is that general still a soldier? Yes, okay. So soldier's the person. The title that they put on the soldier is the office. Does a soldier have a different supply for you than a general? Yes. 
Okay, so you have to know that the supply is different, but also how to correctly access that different supply that you need. So a pastor is an off a pastor is not a person's name. Dr. Jack knows his name. He's not confused about his name. <laughs> the reason we don't call him by his first name because we don't receive a supply from that office if we do that. Now, when you call Jack, he'll answer, and Jack maybe has a supply for you. Maybe he can tell you a joke. Maybe he can be your friend. Maybe he can cook you some scrambled eggs. So there's not a whole lot of supply coming from Jack for you. There's going to be a <laughs> there's going to be a limit to that humanity there, okay? But when you say the word pastor you struck heaven's supply. Amen. So that's why we go be like, why do we call him that? That's why we respect that office because it's not the person, it's the office that Jesus placed on him and we've just bypassed that man. Whatever his flaws are, whatever his faults are, whatever his inadequacies are irrelevant now because now I've gone directly to heaven and I place a demand on an office, on a supply and that flows to me unhindered if I don't hinder it. It has nothing to do with the person. Revelation 3 says, Behold, I've placed before you an open door that no man shuts. The only man that shuts a door is the man in the mirror. You're the only person authorized for that. So we're going to learn how to tap the supply. The word pastor... And so we're going to go through this, and it's not going to be long. It's not like my normal messages that, like the mercy of the Lord, they endure forever. But <laughs> uh, we're going to actually, at the end of this, apply this, and we're going to pray for our pastor specifically. And so you're going to learn what the supply is and why you need to tap that supply. So the word pastor itself is only used once in the King James translation of the New Testament. The Greek word translated pastor literally means shepherd, so you'll often see that. In John 10, verse 11 through 13, Jesus said these words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and cares not for the sheep. There are people standing in an office of a pastor that they have self-proclaimed or somebody else has proclaimed for them, not authorized by heaven, and they are hirelings. So when the wolf comes, there's going to be what is, is common to all man, self-preservation. Okay, but a true pastor is not going to do that. A true pastor is going to do what Jesus said. Uh, he was going to lay in the doorway as, as the sheep. And actually the shepherds, if you study out a shepherd, they would, uh, they would all graze together and they would herd together the, the multiple shepherds at night. And so they would find a place like, let's say there was a little bit of a mountain thing, like to my back. So they would back up to a hill or a mountain or a three-sided enclosed area for protection. And they would herd all the sheep in there. And whatever opening there was, usually they try to be saw the shepherd would literally physically lay down his body in that opening and that's where he slept like you weren't getting them unless you came through him so when jesus said i am the door i'm the way that's what he was talking about he wasn't talking about that that kind of door he, you had to get past him to get to his sheep but when you have a hireling the first thing they do when the bandits come is they jet and run right and just be like hey you want some you want lamb chop there it is yeah <laughs> chop chop uh first peter 2 25 it says this, you were as sheep going astray. Turn there because I want you to notice uh, who this is speaking to. As you guys know in LCU, we, we always want to reference uh, who's talking, who are they talking to, and what dispensation and time are they talking about. And that way you don't read the word with uh, that doesn't apply to me kind of thinking. 1 Peter 2.25 says this, you were as sheep going astray. Are sheep Christians? 
So Jesus is speaking to believers, yes? He's not speaking to the lost. Okay, sheep are in a sheepfold, yes? So they're in a local body. So Jesus is actually referencing, he's talking to us, people sitting in a congregation. He's not talking about someone who's outside a congregation. A sheep begins to go astray while they're sitting in a body. That's where it begins. You are as sheep going astray. He's identifying people. You're going astray. This is how they're going astray. You're starting to wander from truth. And that begins in your mind. You're backing up from truth. You're not embracing that. You're hanging out on the fringes. So you're starting to go astray. And that always begins in the heart and mind. You're wandering from the truth. You're wandering from safety. And you're starting to be deceived. And you're sitting right here in the body, in the sheepfold. The only person you're faking it out is yourself, though, on that one. But you are now returned unto the shepherd, the bishop of your souls. So in other words, you can have both things happen. You can start wondering, start being deceived and being led astray. And all of a sudden, the pastor can preach a word. And that staff, that rod and nice staff, that can pull you right back in and jerk you if you yield to that. So you can't get too far away because you can get far enough away with inside the walls of a church that his staff won't reach you, that you no longer hear his voice. So he can't pull you back to safety because you're not listening anymore. So he can beat the wolves off all day long, but eventually they're going to pick you off and they're going to get your leg and gnaw on it and drag you away. <laughs> Acts 10, 20, 28 says this, take heed, pay attention to yourselves that he's speaking to pastors, be cautious and apply yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So this is an admonishment to pastors that while you're pastoring, you also have to pay attention to your own walk. You don't go into ministry and spend less time with God and less time developing your personal relationship. You got to double and triple that. Because you can be in the middle of of a move of God, Um, you can be in the middle of the will of God, and you can start backsliding because it starts in the heart and the mind. And it'll eventually show up, but it doesn't show up for a while. We don't go from being in church today and dancing down on top of the bar within one week on Friday night. It doesn't happen that quick. People were like, oh my God, they were on the mission field. They came home two weeks later. They were dancing on the bar. It happened sitting here, wandering from the truth inside their mind. Just because someone is present in body doesn't mean they are present in heart and mind. And so that, dis- that disengagement, those heartstrings, they left a long time ago in their heart before they ever left in their body. But we're not talking about others. We're talking about us, right? We're, we're, we're saying, therefore, the grace of God go us. And so we're focusing on ourselves. We're taking heed and paying attention that we maintain those, those personal relationships with God. So a pastor, the word says in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians that a pastor is a gift from God for two purposes, the perfecting of the saints and for the winning of the lost to Christ. And I'd probably add or enhance that second one. He's to teach you how to win the lost. So we have, we have a pa- pastor here, and I can say anything I want because he's not here, <laughs> um, who not only teaches people how to win the loss, but, but he'll outpace you on that any day. You're, you're not going to outpace him on that. He doesn't have to have his arm twisted. He doesn't have to be convinced that that's the right thing to do. That's an example because first he's a Christian. So, he's a soul, so we're soul winners. And then if you're not sure how, he's like, come on, let's, let's go, and he'll show you how. And hopefully you'll catch that. So uh, the perfecting of the saints means that there's areas in your life that are unperfected. He's focused on that. So what does that tell you who he's not? Is he the person that's supposed to come and tell you all the things that you're wonderful about? Yeah, that's important if we notice something. Hey, darling, you got great hair. Um, 
th that's important, but you know what? That affirmation belongs to you and your peer group. And if you don't have it, Thessalonians says, look in the mirror and affirm yourself. So you should have no lack for affirmation because if somebody else isn't doing it, you, it's you. You can still do it. Um, the pastor is to work on the perfecting of you, not pointing out your faults, but saying, this area is weak. I, he's sent there to help you run your race. Amen. He's not there to be your buddy. He's not there to be your friend. Now, if you want him to be your friend, what you can have, you can have a friend anointing. But you know what? There's nothing easier to get than a friend. Those are easy to find. Very hard and almost impossible to find a pastor he'll lay down his life for you. So I recommend that you not go after the pal, the friend, the buddy uh, anointing, that you go after the pastor anointing because it's a treasure and it's a rare thing. So is he going to work on perfecting us and shoring those areas up? Yeah, and he does it with a lot of love and a lot of humor and that we need to be grateful for because, you know, the Bible doesn't actually require him to do it that way. <laughs> with love, yeah, but not humor and, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're blessed. The most outstanding characteristic of a pastor is a shepherd's heart. Number one, he loves his people and is loyal to his flock. He hears from God, he has a vision people will follow, and he prays for members of his church. I'd have to say that our pastor is all that and more. Would you say that? We're very, very blessed. So in other words, I wouldn't be bringing to you the scripture like this if, if I couldn't preach this sermon if our pastor was lacking in any area. Fortunately, he meets every one of the criteria on all four of these pages, but it happens to be um, a class, part of a 12-hour class in LCU. Uh, does he pray for you? Yes. He mentions you often in his prayers. And then we don't pray a lot together just because we pray very differently. We do when we need to, but our normal daily prayer time is not together because we sort of distract each other. But uh, um, as you can tell with the personality seminar, yeah. And we just have different hours of, of the day or evening that, that we pray. But um, I often, I can hear him. And the funny, one of the funny stories about our home in Chicago, when I had to find that house when he was not with me, I flew in to, to house hunt and he was on the road. And I said, I, I've got the perfect, I bought this house based on this fact alone. The basement, three, three floors, the basement being the lowest floor had a prayer room. <laughs> so that I could sleep on the top floor and hope that what I didn't understand that being a Floridian is you have vents that go all the way up. So the sound is still coming through. So you're like piling pillows on it and be like, seriously, I bought this house. So I have to hear you pray at four in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, look, honey, here's your prayer room. Like, down in the dungeon. Isn't this perfect? Yeah. <laughs> you let it rip. Yeah. So it was awesome. He'll tell you that. So I picked that house. I had to have, like, distance. Okay. So, so he is a prayer. So John 17, 9. Jesus said this, and this, is, this to me is very intriguing. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. They were like, oh. Jesus didn't pray for the world. No, he told you what to do about that. He didn't tell you to jack your jaws inside the four, four walls of the church. He told you, go ye into all the world. You were supposed to go and do on that one. And so when we are in here praying for souls, we're not actually praying for their salvation. We're praying for boldness. We're praying for utterance. We're praying for open doors. We're praying for those things. that. But if we just sit here and pray, we might as well just go to IHOP because unless we go out there... <laughs> That prayer does not avail much. It avails less than much. And we just, we had that form of godliness but deny the power of. And I'd rather stay home and watch a movie. So uh, he says, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, they are mine. So the ones that a pastor is to pray for, and God identifies his flock to him. He knows when somebody comes in and they're visiting or they're temporary, he knows they're not of his flock. Doesn't mean they're not of God's 
uh, global flock, and we love them and we serve them, but he actually knows who his sheep are and who they're not. Um, and then sometimes uh, the individual sheep decide that they're not anymore because they don't hear his voice. But the pastor can tell when the sheep are not listening and they've disconnected their ear from his voice. And uh, he doesn't love them less, but he knows long before they think he knows. And uh, it's one of the, the things he deals with with uh, heartache constantly. Luke 22, 31 through 32, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired and demanded to have you, that he may sift and deceive you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, revert and strengthen, set fast and turn resolutely your brethren. Turn there, look at, look, look at that verse with me. I want to show you something. It's important that we, you know, I love using my phone and my Bible, but, you know, we got to put our eyeballs on the page. Proverbs says so. You're going to have to attach your eyes sometimes to these scriptures and not just hear them. So Luke 22 says, and here's, remember the Lord's talking to Peter. And you need to understand the tone with which Jesus is communicating this to Peter. It's a very serious situation. He's saying, Peter, Satan has come to me and he's demanded to have you. What if Jesus said, Layla, Satan's come to me and he's demanded to have you. That should have told you right then. You open the door. He has a right to demand that. What have I done that's given him a right to demand? Say, I got access. Jesus, you got to let go. He did that. I got access to him. That's what Pete, Jesus is trying to tell Peter. So and what is he? Peter hasn't done anything yet, but Jesus is prophesying. He knows what Peter's getting ready to do. He's speaking about the fact he's not, but he's already, he's tell, he has to tell Peter the end from the beginning on this one because Peter may have done what Judas did. He may have committed suicide. He would have had sorrow upon sorrow, thinking there was no way back from denying the Christ. So he said, Peter, when he said, don't worry, I've prayed that your faith would not fail you. Faith is for the battle. But how come we, we say we have all this faith, we get all this faith in here, and then we're tested and we lay it down and run? <laughs> That's when you were supposed to use it. And so faith is for the battle. So when the test came to Peter, Peter's like, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never leave you. I'll die for you. And, and hours later, he's denying him three times. Because that's that, that's that self-preservation thing. And so Jesus was telling him, Peter, I've prayed for you. Your faith's not going to fail you. What? Faith that he wouldn't deny him? No, that wasn't what he was trusting. Faith that he would believe in the mercy and forgiveness of God, that he could have a fresh start and he didn't need to go out and hang himself like Judas did. So, and that somehow God would make all things new. He didn't know how. He didn't even understand the resurrection and that it was coming. But God said, you're going to have faith that somehow that I can fix this. So Peter, hang on. He just needed Peter to hang on for three days. And Judas didn't hang on. But Judas could have repented at any time. And God wouldn't have treated him any differently. So he said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail you. And then he told him what was going to happen. And when you're converted, when you repent, when you come back, and then he gave him a job. I want you to turn resolute all your brethren. In other words, you go get them all. Your influence. I want you, you're going to turn and you're going to go get them all and bring them back. And who stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, you crucified the Lord of glory. Yes. Yeah. He didn't say me. He didn't say, I denied the Lord three times. What a worm I am. I'm really sorry, everybody. No, he said, you crucified the Lord of glory. That's a free man. <laughs> yeah. No condemnation. I didn't do it. Jesus don't remember that. Yeah. You, I say you did it. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't have any condemnation, so that, that, that ID kicked in, and we went forward <laughs> on that. Um, so th that is an important scripture. So the pastor uh, stands in the gap and prays for his sheep. Number five, he sanctifies himself through the word 
and he prays to hear from God. So a pastor is going to have to give himself to much fasting and prayer. I'm not really good at the fasting thing, even going without one, one meal, I have to tell you. I know that people think you're so disciplined in some areas. Yeah, some areas, heavy on the word some, that's not one of them. Um, like I had Friday night for dinner and M&M McFlurry, extra M&Ms, you know, he heavy on the M&Ms, light on the ice cream. I'm like, just put enough in there to moisten it, you know. <laughs> in fact, can I make my own? Yeah, no. Um, but he gives himself to much fasting and prayer. And so I'm uh, highly impressed by that because I'm like, ah. And he's like, and I'll even try to fast with him and he'll go like, can you eat? Because, you know, crabby. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you going to eat today? You really need to eat. I think you're done. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> we made it, we made it to, to lunch. Yeah. He's like, can you, can you please eat? Yeah. So that is not easy. Someone that gives himself to fat, and he gives himself to much fasting and much prayer and lengthy fasting, you know, 40 days, 20 days. I remember one time he was doing his first six-day fast, and this is when we were youth pastors. So this is like pre pre-everything, prehistoric, yeah, pre-dinosaur, <laughs> pre-Bible school, before our deliverance. Um, so anyway, and, and we were on the sixth day, we were eating pizza, and he like sat there at Pizza Hut, and I'm just like, how do you do that? I would have been like, y'all are not getting pizza, you going home, you don't eat that in front of me. I can't even watch a commercial with pizza when I'm on fast. I'm like, you do not eat anything in front of me, get out. <laughs> So he sat there at the table, and of course they picked on him, made fun of him. You know how teenagers are; they're just so much fun. <laughs> and so uh, John seventeen seventeen says this: "Sanctify, set apart, and consecrated them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth." Jesus said this: "For their sakes I sanctify myself." that they also might be sanctified. So a pastor doesn't sanctify himself because he feels like sanctifying himself because that's very painful and he's not holier than now. He does it so that you can sanctify yourself because the people will never go past a leader can't get farther than the leader is. And so he does that as part of laying down his life, not because God's like, you need to be oh so spiritual and be 20 light years ahead of your people. But anything he'll, he'll press through or walk through means you can at least get some of that done in your life. It's easier for you. And it's easier for you, if nothing more than the fact that he can help you walk through it. He can talk to you about those scriptures and that process and some of those things. And then uh, Jeremiah 3.15 says this, I will give you pastors according to my own heart. That means that there are pastors that don't have God's heart. If Jesus is having to say, um, I'm going to have to give you some pastors after my heart, there are pastors that exist that they're not after God's heart. Just is. I don't personally know any. Here's his life's motto. Others may, but I may not. So there are many things that, that people can do, and they're not necessarily a right or wrong. And for a pastor, there should never be a question of right or wrong. Is that sin? Is that not sin? They should, they're so far from that. It's others may and I may not. And for us as Christians, if we're going to be mature, we shouldn't even be asking this. We should be asking at least this question, is this helping me run my race? But a pastor is beyond even that, that we haven't reached. And he's like, I've already answered the question. That's not helping me run my race, but I've come over here. What will help them run their race? So he has to be, others may, but I may not, because I, have to, I am the pace setter for the race. He doesn't have the option when something bad happens to fall on the floor and roll around and cry and have a tantrum or sit in the corner um, and go into a trance and have a pity party and suck his thumb. You know, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Because we'd have to do that like three times a week. 
at least, <laughs> if we were going to do that. So he doesn't, and some of the things, he's, he's just so confident, he's so hard or whatever. No, he's not. He has to be sure in the fact that either we're doing this right or we're going to die doing it. There's just no back door and there's no other way because people's lives depend on, on that, depend on that press. And so uh, when he's pressing and what happens is people think, well, you're pressing me, pastor. He's not pressing you. You moved in close to him because you wanted to be closer, either because you loved him, you wanted to have fun, you wanted to know him better, or you wanted something. Just tell the truth about it. And so when you got close to the back of that semi because you wanted to get sucked into their vortex and save a little gas, okay, there was something you wanted. So you, you were, dry, oh, let's do that. That's cool. That'll be fun or whatever. So the semi wasn't pressuring you. You got close enough to feel the press of the semi. So if you're going to move, if you're going to get close to a man or woman of God that's pressing like that, if you don't like that feeling, don't point the finger and accuse them of pressing you back up from their press because you, you felt their own press that they weren't requiring of you. Sort of like you want to run, come on, mama better get some new shoes because those aren't going to work because, you know, we're going and we're going. And so, yeah, you might be cramping and falling and dying, and he's got your arm. You, well, just tell me when you don't want to, because I'm going by the last information you had. The last thing you told me is that you wanted to run. So the next thing I need to hear from you is let go. Because right. he'll run, and you'll be dragging behind like the guy in the Western that fell off the horse, <laughs> leg is in the stirrup, and is holding on, and they don't even know it. And you're bumping over every rock. <laughs> and then you're all beat up and tore up. And they look back finally, what are you doing? Like, yeah. And so you didn't say stop. And so we just kept on running. All right. Hallelujah. So others may, I, I may not. That's his motto. Pastors lead sheep. They feed sheep. They protect sheep. And they scout ahead for good ground. How you see a pastor scout ahead is he brings people into this pulpit that have good food to feed you. He scouts ahead for good grazing ground for you so that you are well fed and that you grow up quickly and solidly. Sheep can be called by name. Sheep are anointed with oil by the shepherd to keep flies and gnats away. You're like, why do we always have to have a Holy Ghost service every Sunday night? Because you got flies. <laughs> and you got gnats. I mean, you as in you cumulatively. Every time we step out into the world, Belzebub's. You know, and so if you don't want to go berserko, you know, trying to swat the flies, just we come in here every Sunday night and we get, we get oil. The pastor's job is to keep us coated with oil so that we go out there. We're full of the word on the inside. We got oil on the outside and that stuff can't stick to us. And so it's, he's buzzing, but it's not going to stick. The weapons may form, but they can't prosper. So as we're moving into the last days, yeah, it's necessary. It's necessary when it's necessary. Yeah, and it's just necessary. <laughs> okay, so they recognize their own shepherd's voice, even if five different flocks are together with five different shepherds. So in the morning, you know, all the sheep sort of piled together for safety at night. And in the morning, the shepherds would just go out and they would just call. And all the sheep looked just alike. But the sheep never were confused. They always went to their own shepherd. The shepherd wasn't running around every morning trying to herd up their little sheepies, you know, or going, oh, my gosh, you know, hold up. I've got my 20, but I got five over there. No, they just whistled. They called to their own sheep, and their own sheep would follow them, and they would go graze in a separate pasture during the day and separate from each other. So a sheep know their own shepherd's voice. The shepherd doesn't have a chase him down. He speaks, and they listen. Like our Heavenly Father talks, and we listen. Our pastor says, this is what the Lord said our vision is. We hear it, and we go. If you're the sheep, you're going to hear his voice. 
Uh, the shepherd would camp at the entrance of the fold at night. The true shepherd is not a hireling, John 10. He's more concerned for the flock than his salary. Uh, let me just tell on our pastor and myself, too, when we first started this church, you know, we we're still traveling. This church is unique because it's not a church. Um, it's only... <laughs> It's, it's the fourth and four, one of four entities in the fourth one. So it was a traveling ministry uh, added to a missions organization, uh, a church, and then started uh, a school. So we have four things going on at once, which is not normal. Most churches at five years just still have a church, and they wouldn't have added any one of those things to it. But we're not normal. <clears throat> never have been. And so uh, the, the church was the final thing that God added. Well, I should say actually the school because it was just, just a year though. And we were like, we're starting a campus as soon as we can. Um, and so he, we told our board, we had this great idea. We're not going to take a salary for three years. And so we didn't have to say anything the first year because your board meeting is a year after. And this was our brilliant idea that we would still support ourselves through traveling in Jack Myers Ministries and believe God the way we had always done. And we wanted to put every dollar back into the church because we've seen a lot of pastors not have that opportunity to have to work and it was it made the church go a lot slower and they would need to live on that we're like we don't need to live on that i'll work at mcdonald's tomorrow and i can eat all the m&m mcflurries i want for free yeah. <laughs> i hope they give me 50 percent off i mean i don't know maybe the economy's changed you don't even get like 50 percent off your m&m mcflurry and so uh we told our board hey we didn't take a salary this whole year and we're, we're not going to for at least three years and they're like uh no yeah that's not going to work. And so they explained to us the spiritual principle, us being new pastors, that, that if we weren't tied to the people, it was too easy for us not to be tied to them, you know, because evangelists were kind of love you, love you, leave you, one night stand kind of people. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's what other people say. But... um so we had to tie ourselves, but um, that's his heart. And so he and the pastor also takes time to know his congregation. Now, that's a really challenging thing for pastors because especially ours, very loving, loves people, very touchy, very huggy, like a big teddy bear. And he wants to be close to people, wants to spend time with them, but he can't because you become familiar with him. And here's the thing, though. The burden of familiarity is on you, not him. So you have to learn to set that line because if you get close to him and you see his humanity, it's not that he's this flawed person with any secrets, but he is human. And the more you see somebody's humanity, you forget that God is big enough in them to supply your need. And so uh, pastors are often very lonely people because they don't have any friends in their congregation. They have to have friends outside their congregation. And generally those peers live long distance from you. And so Pastor Todd is our pastor's best friend and he lives in Texas. But uh, he wants to get to know his, his flock, but he doesn't want, also doesn't want to get to know them too well for another reason, because he needs to hear from God about their life, because they need answers, and that matters to him. So the more things he knows in the natural, and he often tells me um, some things he's got to know, but other things he's like, okay, I don't want to know. But yet his humanity wants to know, because he's that fun eye personality. Like, tell me, you know, what's going on? What's everybody doing? Then he'll get, I'll be like, he'll like, no, not tell me. Then he'll come in here and go, I don't know what's going on. Well... <laughs> Yeah, like I don't even know where the bulletin board is. You didn't tell me. Why would I tell you that we moved the bulletin board? Why would I give you information on mindless minutiae? Yeah, and so, <laughs> and so then he's like, okay, yeah. So he always has this conundrum between, you know, trying to get to know and be aware of things and not being too familiar and dealing with things spiritually. And for him, that's harder just because of his loving, very warm, fuzzy personality. So it's our job to aid him with that. It's our job not to say, you know, why doesn't he come in before services and, and talk to us? It's because he's trying to get quiet and hear from God. He doesn't want everybody telling uh, him their personal business because then if he had a word from the Lord for you, you would be kind of questioning, well, I wonder if that was God or that's just something he knows about me. 
or my mama called. Did my mama call the church office on Friday? Mm-hmm. Your mama calls every Friday, yeah. <laughs> wants to know, what are we doing with you? We're trying. Uh, John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and, and know my sheep and am known of mine. So there is still a knowing he can know the sheep and they can know him. That's great. And I have to say it like this. You need to learn to know people after the spirit. You don't need to be all up in their fleshly business. You don't need to know people after the flesh, know everything about them. You need to know people by the spirit. Because you, you don't even have time to know them that well after the flesh. If I got to learn to get to know you by the flesh, so because basically, as you saw in the personality thing, I'm a CD. I cannot move forward in any type of relationship, whether it's business or personal, without my relationship key. That's trust and integrity. Will take you about five years to earn my trust. Sorry, it's just the way it is. I'm not not special, just the way it is. Um, and so, who's got time for that? So you're going to have to learn to navigate people by your spirit, man, um, because you don't have five years to measure that fruit always. And sometimes just because you trust somebody and they turn out later to be untrustworthy, that's not my fault. I didn't miss God. You made different choices. Yeah, and so, so we move on with that. Thank you, I will. <laughs> Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That verse in Thessalonians 5.12 says this, know those that labor among you. That word know means to investigate. So if you were like, why do you have all these forms and all these protocols? Because I have the right to investigate you if you want to labor among me. You want to work on the ministry team. You want to work on the staff. You want to put yourself in a position that you're touching people's children. You're caring for their wives. Yeah, I'm going to know you. I have a right to investigate you. And you ought to investigate me too. Be, and the, here's the thing. You're like, well, I want to be a part of this. Okay, we got a work day Saturday. We got to plant some plants. Oh, yeah, that's not my calling. There's no way for me to know you unless you're laboring among, among you. Yeah, and so I'm, go, I'm, I'm painting the wall. So if you want to get involved, pick up a paintbrush and talk to me for eight hours, but I'm painting the wall. Or just sit there and watch. I mean, I don't know. But uh, whatever your pleasure is. So I'm sort of like, yeah, talk while you walk and let's talk while we paint and we got, we got work to do, people. And so if we, the only time I generally stop is because we're going to enjoy the coffee. Yeah, and so you catch me in coffee, and we talk over coffee. We talk over coffee. <laughs> but then it's like, okay, we got to get back to work. Okay, John 10, 14. Okay, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I skipped that already. Makes himself available, John 10, 13. A pastor makes himself available. That's available spiritually. So at the end of services, he's up here. You have his email. You have his cell phone. That's extraordinary. He is accessible. So he makes himself available, but not for frivolity and not for foolishness and not for gossip. For any type of counsel, any type of mentorship, you want prayer, you want him to listen to you, you need hands laid on you, you need prayer calls, that man is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He has dropped everything. The other night, him and Pastor Josh were up all night long with somebody at the hospital. He left at midnight, and what time did they come home? Six, yeah. And so they went to bed and we got up. Uh, He makes himself available. He guards and protects his flock. Do we not see that in our pastor? He is not only, uh, as a man, he's naturally protective. That's what his first name means. It means protector. Harry, and, uh, but he's uh, spiritually watches over attentively people's lives that allow him to by, by praying over their lives, by speaking the word, by speaking into their lives, watching their forward momentum progress, making sure that they continually have every opportunity should they want to avail themselves of learning and moving forward. So he gives himself diligently to that. 
organizes ministry to meet the needs of every age level and special group. He does that. He doesn't have to do it all personally, thank God, anymore, thanks to an awesome ministry team and interns and staff and you all um, in the ministry of service. Uh, people have found their place and they, they help serve those areas. So I believe, I think we have every age group being ministered to in general. I mean, hey, the table is spread. Show up and eat if you want to. Or just go to Floyd's for steak and eggs. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want the full buffet, they got steak and eggs over there. Um, sets the example for, for the flock to follow. So a pastor is going to set the example. A pastor is not a mouthpiece to tell us all what to do. Do as I say, not as I do. No, he's a, you, need to, you can follow his life. He's one of the people that not only can you follow, you can follow what he says because you can follow his life. And so you can inspect the fruit and go, you know what? There's a, there's a lot of talk, but there is way more action behind that talk for, for both of us. So we, we know how to preach. We know how to talk or whatever. We're not full of words, but we have, we have much that we can impart from the word. But we have way more actions going on behind the scenes because your sermons are only, what, when uh, LCU or Sunday and that's it. But the rest of the week, we're just, we got those actions about 80 hours worth. So you need to be looking at that. You need to measure that. 1 Peter 5, 2, 3, feed the flock of God, which is among you. Take the oversight of, not by constraint, but by willingly. In other words, when God had to twist my arm to do it, that's why he had to correct me. No, I don't want a pastor. I'd rather go to prison, have three hot meals a day, and have a color TV. <laughs> he was having to constrain me to like get me to do that. It only took him three years um, to do that. <laughs> Prepare me. I'm like, that sounds like, ugh, prison sounds better. But a willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither is being Lord over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. He's liberal and cheerful in his giving. Is our, our pastor not that? So liberal. <laughs> At times I should be like, um, <clears throat> do we always have to completely empty the bank account? I mean, is that necessary? I mean, can we do part of it? Can we do 75%? No, it's like all. It's anytime he pulls anything out of his pocket, it's just all, you know, everything that's in the bank account, everything that's in his pocket, just, it's all, he's just like this big all or nothing person. <laughs> so he's very liberal and yeah, he's very, very cheerful about it <clears throat> too. Because <laughs> every time he's like asked me about a mission scholarship, I'm like, the funds aren't there. Don't worry about it. Oh. Yeah, I'm not worried about it, but you ask me about the finances. I don't want to get blood from a turnip. Yeah, <laughs> just the administrator. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when you have a pastor or someone that you're working under that's just like, whoa, just believe God. You, are, you always feel like you're trying to catch your breath. You got one nostril above the water, and then a bird lands on that. <laughs> You're like, yeah, but nothing else on my faith here. I'm, I'm going down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we've gotten him to slow down just a little bit. I'm like, I got to catch my breath. <laughs> does, he does not compete with other fivefold ministries. So he, he surrounds himself with them and he revels in, in the differences and has fun with them. And so you guys have the benefit of having them a lot in here. But he will strive to work with them. Uh, but what we can do, members need to respect the pastor's need for time and privacy. That's why we leave him alone before services so he can just get quiet and hear, what does the Lord want him to minister on? Maybe he's prepared something, but the Holy Ghost knows what the needs of the people coming are, and, and he wants to change that. So he needs that, that time to just get very quiet and hear the voice of God, and that's for our benefit. In some ways that we can help him too, God wants his sheep to understand their 
excuse me, shepherd a pastor by abiding by his guidelines and counseling. You know, I love Dr. Cho's method. We have a counseling track here, so it's always fun to talk about those things. He has something called Prayer Mountain. And Dr. Young E. Cho, as you guys know, he's in Korea. He's the largest church in the world. It's a million people. And uh, so his is his counseling protocol. So if you need counseling, you get to call into the church office and then you get sent to the one of the little shacks that they've built in, the little straw huts they've actually built into the side of the mountain, dirt. Okay, we're talking a third world country. Korea and you get to go and take your little mat and you get to lay in there for 10 days and you get to fast and pray and then when you come down you come back to the church office and you tell them what you still need <laughs> which is almost nothing. yeah yeah so um, we're gonna work on that protocol is that okay with you and uh, Floyd is gonna build <laughs> Floyd's gonna build a little hi when you need a counseling appointment <laughs> <laughs> One of the interns is going to drive you down there, drop you off, and then when you're done with your 10 days, they'll make you steak and eggs, and uh, we'll come pick you up. The bus will come get you, okay? Okay, and we'll just see if we can free up our counseling uh, people to go give it to some people who really need it. So who wants to, like, sign up and go to that church? Like, woo yeah. So, he d- so naturally, he does very, very little. Okay. <clears throat> So we don't counsel people who don't come to our church. Often people will bring somebody and go, can you counsel them? Nope. Their pastor needs to counsel them. They're not our sheep. And I don't mean we don't lead people to the Lord and we don't disciple those people and we don't plug them in. But if they're not here, that's, we don't, we're not counseling them because you're, you're counseling somebody else's sheep. And it's no such thing as counseling, a pastoral counseling from someone who's not even a sheep. That's what psychiatrists, psychiatrists are and, and, uh, and other things. Because your number one problem is you're not attending church. And so if you're not attending church and you're not reading your Bible, you're not saved, we have all those things on our forms. So if you check any of those, we're first going to help you with that. We're going to serve you with that. Because what is it that we have to tell you that Jesus hadn't already said? So what is it I'm going to advise you that's going to help you win if we're not saved? Yeah, and so, so there's, there's those protocols. But people resist protocol just because it exists, because of our rebellion. But it has a reason. It's, it's not only safe for the pastor, but it's, it's actually to your benefit. It exists for your benefit. Observing his time limits on sessions, coming during office hours if he requests, or whatever those hours are. You know, and here's a big one. Receiving his counsel as the wisdom of God. Recognize that when you're talking to him, when you use those words, pastor, he went to his knees in the spirit. He knows you're talking to heaven. You're pulling on heaven through him. And when he says something to you, it's not him. Because it is, if it is him, don't worry about it because he's in trouble. And so God's going to get your answer. You don't need to sweat it. You don't need to judge that. And so if you're coming to him, don't come to pastor because you're going to compare him to five other people. Five other people that don't even have that spiritual authority that know less probably than you until you find the person that just tells you what you wanted to hear. Uh, Let me help you. Save yourself some time. Do that first. Don't don't waste somebody's time. See, a mentor is a person whose advice you follow, not the one you listen to. And people are like, well, so-and-so is my mentor. You've never met them. You don't have your cell phone. They're on TV. A mentor is a person who says, uh, this needs to be shored up in your life. Here's the word of the Lord to you. And you follow that and it happens. That is your mentor. Yes. 
And so if you're not going to come to the pastor in that way, just don't come. If you're coming, you're coming from heaven to talk to you, not to the pastor to talk to you. And he's going to tap that supply right along with you and give you an answer. But if you're just comparing him, he doesn't need to suffer by comparison. And really, your time is far too valuable to waste it in that manner. Support the pastor by praying for him and his family and providing financial support. You know, one of the things is we not only have to pray for the pastor, but you have to pray for those closest to him, whether, you know, maybe just be his family. But Satan is going to always continue to work through the people. If he can't get to the pastor because the pastor has fortified himself. He's going to not, and we're not talking about the weakest link. The next thing he's going to go to is, is the person that's closest to him that can affect him the most. That would be me. So he's going to do stuff to try to dig at me. If I fortified myself and he can't get at me, then he's going to get to Josh and Kate. And so he's just going to go down the line and not because they're weaker, but he's just going to move for them. And then he's going to come back. Satan goes away for a time and then he comes back to a more convenient time. So he's going to revisit the pastor and see if he can get in again. But all he does is go from one. So is that ever going to stop? Nope. It's going to be a continual circle. If it's not me today, it's her tomorrow. If it's not her, it's Josh. And then if it's, it's Melanie or my parents or John, he's always doing something to try to turn our faces away from the father's vision and his plans, purposes, pursuits on somebody's needs. It's nothing but a set of distractions, a lifelong set of distractions. So when what we have to do is like, you're really hard on your ministry team around you. Nah, their life depends on it. Absolutely not. Their life depends on it. They have a bullseye on their back. And so we're shoulder to shoulder. And so we understand that if I let this person get weak, then not only are they taken out, but so am I. We're a team. One for all and all for one. So we have, we don't, the whole team's motto is others may and we may not. If you're going to, if you're going to work that way, because we're, we're going in a unit. The worst thing in the world, Pastor Josh is on the foreign mission field with Christian, one of our interns. If Christian was not a spiritually strong individual, full of the word and full of faith, we would not have drug him there. Because we don't need someone to carry our suitcase or our camera or take pictures. I don't care how, if he's a world-class photographer. What you need in those situations is somebody that has a pair of spiritual glasses on that has your back. Because they're right now like Marines taking a beach. They're not scouting for just a vacation in Belize and posting wonderful questions. They are scouting a country to take it from Satan. We're taking the entire country. And those two are special forces. They're not just over there. La, la, la. What's our food and hotel? They literally have walked onto Satan's territory and said, this is ours right now. Game on. Okay, so I understand. And so look, I want you to see this picture. My son is over there with, uh, with somebody I view like kids. Pastor Walkman staffed me the other day, and he was addressing them. He said, hey, your mom and I. He's like, Pastor Marie and I. He's like, you know, these are like our kids. They're over there. Dr. Jack is in North Carolina, and that's like a mission field if you've ever been there. It's full of witchcraft. The top, the top place for witchcraft in America is Asheville. That's right next door. Okay, and there's a lot of people that do not like the moving of the spirit. So he went into a hornet's nest, and he knows he's going to. In fact, he announced to them, I'm coming every six weeks. I'm coming back yeah, to fix whatever didn't get fixed this time. I'm going to beat it into you. And so, and, and here I am. And so it, it's, it's, uh, this is not just something we're doing. It's life and death. 
right. people's right. life depend on it. And so if we're not all in our place and we're not all spiritually strong and we got somebody over there that just gave into a weak moment of temptation or whatever it is, that crack in the door comes to all right. of us. I'll give you an example that on the mission field, uh, we have very strong protocol because the, the safety of the team is paramount. So we have things in place that allow them to be absolutely physically safe, spiritually safe, and to thrive and have every wonderful spiritual experience they could possibly want, or in some they might not want. And, uh, and so one thing is we, we told them uh, very specifically, there's a couple rules that you don't violate. Like if you're on a team, there are six people and you have a group leader and you're out on the street, you're with the people and you're in the marketplace. It's a place that people can easily be snatched and they, know they won't find you because they'll chop you up and bury you on the mountain. No one will ever find you and oh well. Um, so we'll, we don't bring you back in a body bag. We'll just bring back, you know, your empty suitcase. And I try to explain that to your family. So there's rules there. And it's not just because we're trying to impede people's fun or they can't be on the team with their BFF, you know, that afternoon. And so we had a a particular young lady decide that she would just switch teams. And it was the one time that I didn't go out with a team. And there was another group leader in in two hours. And so we're on the mission field with 70 people in a foreign country, got their bodies and all their luggage safely there. No illnesses, no accidents. Okay, we're in the middle of Satan's territory, just acting like nothing. We're doing this. We're winning all of these souls and nothing happens to us. Just like the Israelites, every time they obey God, they went into a battle and not one of them died unless there was disobedience. So this young lady decides to switch teams and not follow the rules and four accidents in 30 minutes happened. A concrete brick fell off the top of a building, the, the cinder block, and crashed right behind one of the team members, seconds from cracking her head open. The other, one of the pastors slipped and fell and broke her elbow. Another one stepped off the curb and a moped hit them. What was the other accident? Okay. In just 30 minutes. Someone got snatched in the marketplace, and the imprints from the gentleman's uh, hands were still on her arm hours later when she got back. And she spoke Spanish. And so um, they came back, and we had a chat over lunch. And uh, uh, it was very important that we stress what happened spiritually, because disobedience and rebellion opened the door and four t- three other team members that did not make a decision to obey instantaneous. And that has never happened in any year. I've been on the mission field nine years. Nine years. And if there's an act of diso- willful disobedience, a team member, that stuff will happen so fast you can't hardly contain it. Because the whole time Satan was hovering. Just looking for one person to be willful and disobedient. To, and, and unfortunately, that pr- nothing happened to them. It's like the drunk driver that crashes and they're like, what happened, dude? Yeah, everybody else is like bleeding out. Um, and so that's, I'm, I'm enhancing that strongly because praying for the pastor and the family and those that are working with him, it matters. Anything that happens to the people around him affects his life. It affects his, his emotions. It affects his mental stability. It affects his strength because he feels deeply and he cares deeply and it, and it pulls on him and distracts. And that's a design by the enemy to constantly keep him just going from one person to the other. So we look at that beyond, let's look at that beyond the team and look at that of the congregation. Interestingly enough, somebody texted me the other day and said, I felt led of the Lord listening to another person's message that we needed to shore ourselves up or as a congregation, because if I didn't take care of myself and you kind of always running over here, putting out fires, isn't that a drain on the congregation and the pastor? Absolutely. So if each of us aren't taking personal responsibility for growing and saying, well, I need to pray about LCU and all these things when, when you can go to first year free. 
um, you're, you're cre creating a drag because you're not growing. And so you're actually causing a hardship on the body. Not that you're not valuable and important, but you matter. Your life matters. And so you're a soldier in a unit and it's not okay with God or this unit for you just to be like, Hey, I'm not that important. You know, you don't really need me. No, you're needed. If you're not there, then nobody can replace you. And what God sent you into that unit to bring into that body cannot be brought by anybody else. So forgive me, but suck it up. <laughs> Come on, you know, you, you got it. You got everything you need on the inside of you. Stop comparing yourself to other people in the unit and go, well, I don't have that, and I don't have that, and I'm not like that. Well, what you got? Because you got it. You got everything you need. It's on the inside of you. Then you need to start bringing it. Start bringing your A game because the company unit needs it. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 9, it is written, the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Let pastors, 1 Timothy 5, 17, that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. That word honor means money and valuables. So should our pastor receive uh, recompense financially and invaluables for his excellent preaching, teaching, and ministry? At the word says he is worthy of double honor because he rules well. He rules in the spirit. So, yes, yeah, so anything that we can do to bless him and make his life better, his heart's desire, I'm all for that. For those who labor, they work hard and they feel fatigue in the word and in doctrine. He's here during the week. He's on the roof. He's doing stuff. He's fixing computers on Wednesday night or in the council chat. This ministry team is working day and night. So when you see on Sunday, you just see this little tiny thing when they're all cleaned up, showered, and smell good and look good. They weren't like that. <laughs> they weren't like that all week long. None of us were. I come in on Wednesday night at the counseling track and go, it's manual labor day. I'm here in my jeans and t-shirt every Wednesday. Um, Walking in love and forgiveness and realizing that their pastor is human and makes mistakes. Not trying to change or chastise him for mistakes they believe he's made. Um, if you're thinking along those lines, you already went way too far even, even looking at the mistake he made. Yeah, he's going to make them, but that's not, not our job to fix that. I remember I had a pastor in Oklahoma, Pastor Hagen, and people would criticize him. They were very open about criticizing him and running their mouths, and they would criticize him for saying things like, ain't. The things I love best about Pastor Hagen, I mean, I'm not a, 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 you know, I'm not a Texan. I didn't grow up in the country. I'm a city girl with the off-the-chart vocabulary, but that's one of the things I actually love best about him, that he was a Texan, and he was a man, and he was authentic, and he talked like that. He wore suits and, a bo uh, suits and boots, cowboy boots. And he said ain't, and he said had colloquial expressions, and he was a, a Marine, and he was rough around the edges. And that's, I love that about him. I'm like, I don't want to see him in an Armani suit. Talk about inauthentic, yeah. you know. And so, uh, and I, I can't believe people criticize people for the, the very essence of who they are and what's so wonderful that we celebrate that's different about them. Because how boring is it is just to have a bunch of clones of us? Yeah, so viva la difference. Um, if, uh, if you're not accountable, okay, let me say, if a pastor is wrong, you're like, well, who corrects the pastor? Well, I'm going to tell you. Um, he's corrected by his personal fellowship time with the Lord and in intercession. The Holy Ghost often, he comes to me and he says, hey, the Lord told me to stop doing this or start doing that. He has fellowship with friends and other ministers and he has authority. If you have a pastor in your life that doesn't have authority, you better run. Okay, the, more, the Bible says the more authority you walk in, the more authority you're under. So I've actually had other pastors come on the mission field from other places because we bring them. We like to bring their people and, and help them uh, inspire missions in their own church. And I had one pastor from Texas ask me one time, he said, I need you to talk to my wife. How is it that you walk in so much authority? I said, all you see is delegated. 
There's no such thing as undelegated authority. There are people that take authority, and that's ugly, and that'll tear it up. But everything I walk in here is delegated, and all that tells you, if you think that's a lot, let me tell you about the 19 people over me, my board, my pastor, my parents, and everything. So you want some authority? You want me to teach your wife authority? She doesn't want to submit to you, you told me. Yeah, so you have a hard time with the one person you're submitting to and you want to have more authority, that means you get to be under more authority because all of it got delegated. And that means you get 19 pow-pows from 19 people because you broke 18 things out of 19 when you were trying. And you're always in the office, in the principal's office and in the hotel room getting, getting a new one. Yeah, and people are like, I want to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Okay, you're scary. Um, his fellowship with other authority. You're not accountable to the ones you're responsible for, and you're not responsible to the ones for the ones you're accountable to. So let me say it in a simpler way. Um, pastor has a pastor, which every pastor is supposed to have a pastor, and if they don't, that's out of order biblically. And so, uh, and he also has board members. So he is not responsible for the people he's accountable to. Okay, so he doesn't correct them. He's not responsible for them, but he, he is not accountable to those of us that he's responsible for. He's not accountable to you. Okay. He's accountable to God and he's accountable to all authority. And if we wanted to hide something, we couldn't, there's too much traffic through here. (laughs) Y'all know all of our board members, all of our family and, and like Fernando Fleming, people just show up from overseas, you know, and blow through here and you can talk to them and they got long history with us. You know, they'll say 12 years. Yeah. And they get, if they, if there was dirt, they'd have it. Okay. So it's not noble to find dirt. It's everywhere. You don't have to look, look hard for it. But um, people live in our house. They work in our house. There's nothing that if we wanted to that, that we could hide. Uh, fallen, you know, let me say it. I say it like this because this is just me. Correct word, correction upwards is both rebellion and stupidity. That's right. Try that on your boss and let me know if you still have a job, yeah. you know, the next day. We just don't need to be. Well, I don't think they did that right. Well, um, you need to get rid of all your opinions. A man who walks close to God holds very little opinion. That's right. Fallen ministers, this is how it happens. They're like, well, what if, you know, I need to watch over him and stuff like that because what if he's doing something wrong or what if he falls? Um, this is how that happens. Lack of personal prayer time and meditation of the word. They studied only for sermons. I'll tell you, the least part of his study is for sermons. Most of the time, he, he's not like a, a teacher. He doesn't prepare like I do. Um, he, it's out of the flow of his life. In, in the preacher's office, the evangelist's office, their relationship with God and everything they've learned and yes, along lines is, is going to flow out of them. So they don't have to have all that preparation. And the prophet's office that he flows in, that's more of a waiting on God. But, but the word is in there. It's been in there for 30-something years. So there's, there's the fountain in there. So he has more time that he spends with God personally than the time he prepares in sermons. So we, he's got a great balance of, of that. So we don't have to be concerned about that. They gain knowledge, but they didn't gain personal growth. I've had people that have sat in, in LCU University for three years, and you would never know they were uh, an LCU student. But don't you know people that have been in church 20 years and you, don't, you would not know that they were in church 20 years? Their speech, their lifestyle, and their conduct does not display the fact. So Satan was uh, one of the three archangels in heaven and he turned out a flake. So you were like, well, they, they were in a great church. How'd that happen to them? You already know the answer to that. Your external circumstances don't create internal change. 
That's up to you. You can be in the best church in the world. You can be in the best Bible school in the world. And you can be in heaven itself and be an archangel and still turn out to be Lucifer. So how does that happen to people? That's easily explainable. And so we don't even need to ask that question. Sheep need to be under one pastor, planted, not a pot plant. You do not, I've heard this. I have multiple pastors. And then they name some people on TV. Well, next time you need a hospital visitation or a tuna casserole with potato chips on top, call them <laughs> and their staff and see if they'll FedEx you one. Because <laughs> I think they do that now, don't they? They're like, FedEx you something overnight. Like, it'll still be hot or something. That's what they claim. I've never tried it. Reverend Joe Jordan wanted me to FedEx um, Cubans from Brooklyn to his wife, like fresh. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if they'll make it, but if you want us to, we'll try. Because they didn't have any up there in, in Kansas, like nothing like that. So he loved them and she loved them. He wanted me to mail him some. <laughs> so uh, they need to be on one, on one or one pastor. First Corinthians twelve eighteen says this. God has set the members, every one of them in the body as it had pleased them. Uh, if you're in the church that God has chosen for you, it may not have been your choice. And it may not always feel like your choice. Notice it said God set them in the body as he pleased. So he's going to choose for you because he's smarter than us. But he didn't mention your pleasure. (laughs) He didn't seem to be concerned about that. So uh, he said, as it pleased him, because he knows where that you're the joint fitly supplied. He's going to place you where you have a joint that you are both giving and receiving. If you're in a place that you're thinking, I go there because I like the mojo and the flow, but you don't bring nothing, that's when the mojo dries up because you only get what you brought. And so you're not bringing it. You're like, he, that pastor is bringing it. Well, what about you bringing it? What did you bring other than your, your stinky attitude and you're pulling on, you didn't put 10 cents in the offering, but you know, you came there and that's my church because he brings it. Well, you bring it. Paul said you were to come with something. And so if you were to come with something, you needed to know what were you, what were you bringing to the table? Cause this is a pot blessing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, we were to bring something with us. Uh, we are placed by God, not our own choice. Does the person under authority have the right or ability to choose their authority? Did you choose your boss? Did you choose your mama and your daddy? Yeah. We don't have the right to choose our, even our, but why do Christians think they get to choose? They don't pray and go, Lord, that's where you want me to go. I know I don't like the way the pastor's wife dresses, and I know I don't like the music. I think it's too loud, and the air conditioner is too cold. Well, there's probably a whole lot people would say they don't like about you either. And so, like, uh, I just want to point out, it, where's the relevancy in that? But here's what we do. Well, the pastor's wife, you know, she's, she's not five foot two blonde and um, 98 pounds and plays the piano and sings. <laughs> Yeah, not. I went out on the road with Dr. Jack, and they would ask me, well, what do you do in the ministry? Do you play? No. Do you sing? No. And I didn't look as conservative as this because I was in, a, in the field of cosmetology. So I had uh, some transitional hair and some things that were necessary for the furtherance of my career and the support of my boss. And so, you know, I would have my pinstripe suit on, and that's just that, that was who I was. And, and um, you know, I've gotten a little older and a little mature, and I'm not a cosmetologist anymore. But so they would just kind of look at me up and down, like, you're not what we expected. Well, what did you expect? Well, somebody like Dr. Jack, well, then uh, one of us wouldn't be necessary if we were both alike. You know, <laughs> so that doesn't even make sense. Well, what do you do? Well, you know what? I minister to the minister and his kids, and I'm really good at it. Amen. And as soon as I can get out of here and get back to civilization and get a salad and a coffee, <laughs> I will have returned to my right mind. Yeah. 
And so uh, it was hard. But you know, one time I said that to a group of young ladies, probably about these, these girls' age, and I was just, they were just asking, and I was just answering, hey, uh, you know what? And they, they pa- there was this weird pause, and then they looked at me and they said, you know, when we get older, we hope that we love doing what we do as much as you do. They kind of, it actually set them free. I said, yeah, I was hoping you would realize that you can do more than get knocked up in a backseat of a car here and work for the Tyson Chicken Factory at 16 and have kids because that was, that was their whole future. But so me giving that answer, I know it sounded hard to you, but if you knew the story that the answer came from, you'd see how that was merciful and compassionate. They needed a vision beyond that and that there was a purpose and there is not the status quo for any of our lives in the way that we dress or our appearance. Um, so God has got to choose your place for you. He chose to train me for women's ministry in the field of cosmetology, which was despicable and loathsome to me in the beginning. Oh, what? I don't even like women. I have to go work with a bunch of catty, manipulative, backstabbing hu- humans called women. Um, and so I'm like, oh, you know, that cannot be God. I just graduated in missions. What on earth does that have to do with the mission field? The only thing I can surmise intellectually and logically is I couldn't cut the mustard on the mission field. Maybe there's too many women. And so God has to send me back to work, which is what I was good at. But if I had done what most people do and say, well, that can't be God. That doesn't make sense. That's not spiritual, or I don't agree with that. So, you know, that doesn't bear witness with me. I wouldn't be here today because God, he wasn't okay with my attitude from my cultural upbringing to women. I didn't want to be that way. I was just that way from circumstances. And he decided that cosmetology, not ministry, would be my training ground for ministry. I think he knew what he was doing. But how many of us have gone, have over-spiritualized it or just been uh, rebellious and called it God? No one, no one but me has ever pulled the God card, right? <laughs> oh, God said, you know, so that pastor shuts his mouth when you say that. Because if you say it to him, you're not, don't go to him and go, what do you think? God told me and now what do you think? Done, game over. You should have said, what's the word of the Lord, pastor? Would you pray with me? That should have been your first thing. But once you say God said, well, he's going to defy the almighty God. Yeah. So you, you weren't asking. You were just, he'll tell you this. Thank you for the information. Because that's what you were doing is dispensing information. Thanks for letting me know. In fact, he already knew that because he prayed that out. Yeah, and, and he can, you can see stuff coming before it, it gets to you. So we've got to be planted where God's asked us to. All sheep need a pastor in order to grow. A pastor teaches his flock, number one, to be fruitful and to overcome the snares of the enemy. The servant of the Lord must not strive, quarrel, or dispute, but be gentle, all men, and apt to teach and patient. So he teaches us to come into unity and to be faithful. So God's provided supernatural equipment for the pastor, including words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, and even tongues and interpretation. These gifts help him lead, govern, and counsel. So studies have shown, and I'm closing here because we're going to pray for our pastor. Studies have shown that it takes a minimum of five years for a pastor to even become effective in a local body. We've just passed our five-year mark. And the life of most pastors nationwide, this is not globally because that's a a different measuring device, is only 18 months that they stay before they move either to another pastorate or out of ministry. 1,500, 1,500 pastors globally Every month, quit the ministry. 1,500. We don't have that many going into the the ministry to replace them. And so churches are shutting down. So you would say, why? The number one danger to a pastor is discouragement. 
because he's constantly bombarded with the, the people's needs or the people's problems or people saying, I don't want to be spiritual. I want you to carry me. And, and the gossip and the hardship that comes against him, his ministry, his family. And so he can get discouraged. He's a human. It's what, it's what he can look at. The number one danger of a pastor is not him falling into sin. It's discouragement because discouragement is the doorway through which all that comes. And most of the times the people around him aren't even going to notice that. So if you want to know what you have to guard against and what you have to pray against, it was that text I got the other day. I think the Lord's talking to me about me being more uh, stepping up in my life and bringing more to it so that I don't pull from it. And like, absolutely, the Holy Ghost was talking to you because pastor needs us to encourage him, not just a bunch of words. Pastor, you're wonderful. Pastor, I don't mean that. He needs to see that his investment in our lives, he's laid down his life, are bearing fruit, not for his benefit, but for yours, because there's nothing more encouraging than to say, I helped somebody learn to read and they're reading now. They're just reading everything they want. Oh, that's so awesome. What's that's an encouraging blessing to me. It's that kind of encouragement, someone that sowed their life, literally their life, right. that no back door, no, if this doesn't work out, I'll go do this. Right. Um, our board has to take issue with us on not, not, not uh, saving and not investing in our retirement. So we're kind of like in a tug of war on that in the last couple of years because he wants to put every dollar into the church and into the, you all and into the ministry and into scholarships and into the school and into missions trips. And he has to be forced to kind of do some things, you know, should the Lord tarry. We just, we, we hope not. We'll see who wins in our faith on that. <laughs> want to be here. So that's the number one danger. And that's 2 Corinthians 1.8 is discouragement. So what do we need to pray for our pastor for? Uh, the Bible tells us what? We don't even have to figure that out. It says to pray for utterance, that utterance would be given him, not just utterance. He's the, our pastor doesn't have a shortage of utterance. Okay. <laughs> it's spirit led utterance. It's the right words at the right time. It's Proverbs, uh, apples of gold and settings of silver, a, a word in due season. There's lots of words. The whole word is good. It makes, it tickles me and I tease the missionaries on the mission field that go, I don't know if I have the right scripture for this testimony. Is there a wrong scripture? Right. I, I wasn't aware that there could be a wrong verse, that God's word would, would turn to him void if you had the wrong one. No. I tease them. I know what they mean, but uh, they're trying to mean they want that, that perfect utterance. But, you know, you got to work towards that. It takes a while to get there. So we pray that the pastor has utterance. Who's the utterance for? You. And so here's what people do. Well, I don't need to come to the dis seminar because I've already heard that. See, when we pick and choose, because whatever I said this morning, the book of Acts said the 70 people all heard 70 different things. So I had somebody tell me, I heard something I never heard before, and they've been to it three times. What if they'd have stayed home and slept in? so they could have a Sunday off. They would have missed their utterance. Every time the pastor opens his mouth, you were pulling on him for utterance for your marriage and your finances and your farm and your relationship. Every one of you got all 70 needs met by the mighty Holy Ghost. So it didn't matter what his sermon title was. So you were praying, if you were praying for utterance for him, you brought your faith is what you brought. I'm praying for utterance because I'm getting my answer today. I don't care if we're having a marriage seminar. I'm getting my financial answer. He's the Holy Ghost, and he'll that'll be like, well, I don't know why I said that. He'll be like, well, that was good, or yeah, I got off in that rabbit trail. That's right there, because you're like, yeah, that was me, because I, I prayed for that. But see, if you're not praying for that, you're not bringing your faith to it, there is no utterance. Right. Like, that was kind of dry today. That's on us. That's on you. Amen. Yeah, Amen. because he, he, he brought his faith. He's prayed up every single time. And we don't pull on him. We didn't bring faith for utterances. Utterances aren't going to flow from heaven, because you can't conduct business with heaven without the commerce of faith. Right. So you didn't bring your faith because you drug in here and you were really tired. 
It, went, and it happens to all of us. But at, at some point at the door, we got to shake it off. And we're like, Lord, I thank you that the pastor has utterances, spirit utterances. Ephesians 6, 19, encouragement. So Paul speaks of it. I didn't write it down because it was from Romans to Hebrews that he just talks about uh, how he was encouraged. And it was always through the, the increase in people's lives around him. That I saw their prosperity. I saw their blessing and they're doing good. And Paul was encouraged even watching people's lives from a distance. That's the encouragement. Uh, and we have to pray for, number one, ourselves, that we'll recognize it. Our pastor is not this, this seminary-trained, hyper-spiritual, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> like, we're like, oh, it's a word. You know, he'll just be talking, and his voice tone will slightly change. And if you're not listening or paying attention, uh, you won't even catch it. And you got to hook up with that. you got to pull on that. You can watch his body language change. You can watch his face change. He'll look at you and you're not there. <laughs> and you're like, you know, he's seeing me, but he's not seeing me. He's somewhere else. And so that you'll miss those utterances because you haven't taught yourself how to recognize them. You're not watching that. You're just looking, oh, that was funny. Look at his coat or whatever. Look at that. And you, if you watch Pastor Josh... Why the worship team can flow with him is because he can recognize the way his dad says a song. He'll talk about all ye one Sunday and Pastor Josh won't move. But he'll talk about all ye and all of a sudden you'll see Pastor Josh get his little guitar clip. I don't, I don't remember what it's called, but capo. And then you're like, yeah, there it is. What did he see? He saw something. He saw a facial expression, even from a side profile. He just knew in a spirit. But he's trained himself to be looking at his dad through the eyes of the spirit. And if his son can do that, how much easier it is for us. If I can do it. So I've heard Acts uh, chapter 2 a thousand and one times, like a thousand and one Arabian nights. Let me just make it a thousand and two. So we have a thousand and two Acts chapter 2s. Um, every single time it's uttered, I get something different because I come here pulling on utterances. The pastor in the pulpit is not my husband when he's in the pulpit. That's my pastor. That's the source of my life. And the answer is there. There's no way that I would grow or even survive in the ministry otherwise. So spiritually discern that you understand it. Paul asked you to pray that you would not only recognize it, understand it, but that you would comprehend it. So there were three different things. You were going to need some comprehension. Was, when, I, when I recognized it, oh, I heard it. That was a word. And I understood what he said. And then comprehension means I had to know what to do right. with it. I had to put that into action. So he said, for your, you pray for your pastor this way, but you pray for yourself equally for these things. We don't need, if we would spend more time praying for our pastor in the way that the word instruct us to, not just, hey, bless Dr. Jack and whatever, and may the you know, road rise to meet you, and may the wind be soft on your face. You know, <laughs> I'm Irish, so I remember Irish prayers. Um, but if we prayed for him the way the, the word says, which is actually simpler, faster, and easier, and then we would pray for ourselves instead of spending so much time about the money we want and all these other things that we want, those things would come because we were seeking first the kingdom, and Jesus himself is obligated to just add it to you. You would not have to pray for all the things you pray for if you would actually pray for what God asked you to pray for. He's saying, I need you to pray this way because I need your partnership. He can do nothing in the earth unless a man prays. So he doesn't want you to be smart enough to go, I don't know what to pray. I got to think of all this cool stuff and sound really good. No, open the word and read it out loud. That's prayer. We're just going to, Lord, this is what you said. So I'm going to read this Ephesians verse and this is what I say I want. I say what you say. That means I'm going to get what I say. Now he's obligated to act. 
If you're new to our church or want to learn more about us and what we believe, you can check us out at Jack Myers Ministries Facebook page as well as lifefamilychurch.net.